Welcome to the ABM Conversations Podcast. The number one podcast for B2B marketers wanting to explore timeless account-based marketing strategies to drive revenue, customer engagement, retention, and everything that makes sense to both marketers and sales folks. No more fluff. No more vanity metrics. Live from India. Made for the world. And now your hosts, Yog and Manish. Welcome to yet another episode of the AVM Conversations Podcast. This is your host, Manish. And this is me, Yagneshwaran Ganesh. Today, we are going to discuss a topic that is very close to our heart. That is revenue marketing. And it's not just because Yag published the revenue marketing book a few months back. It's also because we have a brilliant revenue marketer on the show today who has joined us all the way from Estonia, Andres Perde, the CEO of OutFunnel. Welcome to the show, Andres. Hello, and uh, thank you for the invite. Great to be here. Did I pronounce your name correctly, Andres Perde? Yeah, this is actually is very close to the Estonian oh, pronunciation. Right. Yeah, well, I tried. Uh, so, Andres, um, your mission, as we see, has always been about making marketing less spammy and uniting the world of sales and marketing by focus focusing on uh, revenue. But before we get into the topic for today, would you mind sharing a little bit on how OutFunnel happened and your journey so far into revenue marketing? Yeah, sounds good. So I've been in technology marketing since 2006, so 15 years already. Uh, started out uh, with Skype. Um, uh, converting free users into paid, so selling subscriptions before it was cool. Um, and then um, at some point I joined uh, Pipetribe uh, when the company was uh, getting founded. And then I was the first marketer in the team there and then helped to grow the company to many tens of thousands of customers uh, around the world. Uh, and then three years ago, I got the, the startup bug uh, myself properly. Uh, and then as I, as I had been toying with the idea of, uh, of doing something which is uh, close to my heart, then got to, got to found good co-founders and now running out funnel. That's great. And um, let's start with that. Uh, let's start with um, something that OutFunnel is doing great. Why is sales and marketing alignment something that you choose to work on and care about, Anders? So... So the story started in a couple of different places. So the story of me and OutFunnel or the story of OutFunnel. So first, um, as head of marketing of, of this CRM company called PyTrive, um, I, I made it a habit to listen to customers a lot and to also uh, get the phone with them. And then one thing which caught my eye was that although there were many good integrations of marketing tools with PyTrive, some of the kind of big name integrations, uh, some of the big name uh, marketing tools had built integrations. Uh, users were still struggling to really get their sales and marketing to work together. So although there were great tools around, uh, although there were integrations, they were struggling. Um, then as I were starting to ponder my own startup journey, then I took a closer look at this. I kind of had more than 100 interviews with different uh, people at different companies around the world and realized it's not just about pipe drive and its integrations, it's uh, any CRM user was, was struggling with, uh, with connecting sales and marketing data, with connecting sales and marketing workflows. Um, and I think lastly, uh, as, a, as a human being, 
Uh, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure you've noticed the same. A lot of the messages we receive uh, are irrelevant. They are sent uh, sloppily, carelessly, uh, kind of only keeping self-interest at mind, but without proper targeting, without proper kind of uh, segmenting. Uh, and I think uh, one of the reasons over there uh, is also that sales and marketing data is not together uh, as well as it as it should be. Uh, so, so I've been I've been trying to find a better way for this, uh, and uh, yeah, I think some progress so far, and a lot of work still ahead. Right. So, um, Andres, uh, you know, one of the things that I uh, love about your company is that um, you you have a very small team and, uh, you know, that in a way that also means that it's uh, going to be extremely productive. So, um, you know, can you tell me a little bit about how your current marketing and sales team is structured and how does, uh, you know, typically things move from uh, marketing to sales? Mm. So I think about company structure uh, like I think about dinner parties. So that uh, if uh, if you have three friends come over, you don't really need a big plan. You just get some food, maybe some beers, and you'll have a great time. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but if you're planning a dinner party for 100 people or 500 people, then you need to do much more than just get some beers. Uh, does everybody have a seat? Does everybody get food on time? And is the food still warm? Uh, are there enough toilets? Uh, I mean, security is an issue. Um, so it's the same thing, I think, with teams. That if you're doing a startup with three people you know, you don't need much structure, uh, but if it's 100 people or 500 people, then the org chart and, and planning become much more important. Uh, and then another dimension is, is who the people are. If you, if you have three people come over, but they are psychopaths, then you also need a bit of uh, structure and planning. Uh, and, and then we are at, at currently nine people without funding. So we are comfortably within the, uh, the range of, uh, of, uh, of a cozy home party rather than a big formal dinner with lots of planning and structure. Uh, so I think my job is first and foremost about making sure that we have great people. Uh, and then I don't worry about structure too much. I don't know. This didn't quite answer your question, but at least maybe helps you understand the, why we don't have, why I don't have a good answer for you. No, in fact, uh, that makes sense, right? So, uh, in fact, uh, I'm also a person who uh, likes to work in a little bit of chaos. I've been a startup guy all my life. So, I, I get it. And uh, secondly, you know, um, one of the key things that I actually wanted to ask you was uh, that, see, having written the revenue marketing book and also uh, being in the world of revenue marketing, I, I understand this or I've seen this and I'm sure in your experience, you've also seen that the responsibility of revenue has not yet become a reality with marketers today. Uh, and, uh, you know, I would love to... Uh, um, know uh, your perspective on why do you think that is is it just about accountability or why is that revenue marketing has not become a reality so i think there's there's many many reasons behind it uh, uh, but maybe maybe just before i go into that I'll, I'll share my own story there so in my past i was at a company where i was in charge of marketing uh, and then sales at the company uh, wasn't established yet and then we had the new ceo come in who really wanted to have a sales team. Uh, he wanted to have a, the sales team, which was exactly the type and the, and the, and the size that which he had seen in a previous company. So he started uh, aggressively building a sales team without uh, testing it first, without the standards for data quality or, uh, or kind of good reasons to have it. And when I tried to raise the question and said, hey, maybe you should kind of be more careful here, uh, I got there kind of, because I told you so arguments. Um, and then I wasn't quite mature enough to be above it. Uh, and then 
we just got into rhythm where we were building a sales team. I wasn't really fully bought into that. And we kind of got the job done. And I, I, kind of, I was a good lead generator, I think. Uh, but we didn't really fully get to the kind of revenue marketing, sales and marketing working together as one team. So, and then the reason there was um, that, uh, like the situation, like uh, there was office politics and paving favorites. That was the reason there. Um, but I think the reasons may be other. So maybe the person in charge of sales or marketing is not senior enough to realize that it has to be done. Like you have to get sales and marketing on the same page. Uh, and maybe I'm also like, Having spoken to hundreds of companies on a regular basis, mostly smaller businesses around the world, I'm sensing that for many companies, even in 2020, uh, they just have an old-fashioned view about the, the buyer journey from the time where sales and marketing were still in uh, in silos and, and didn't didn't have to work together. Uh, so I think, I mean, what you're doing with the podcast and what, you, what you're doing with the with the book, and I think many other smart marketers have done a great job in educating uh, the market, but there's still quite a bit of old-fashioned views uh, out there. Uh, oh, and by the way, as a side note, the CEO got fired later on. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very interesting story. Now, um, Andrus, you mentioned party and food in one of your answers before. Two of my favorite things that I love doing when I'm not <laughs> recording a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. But I love that analogy that you used about throwing a party. And uh, I have a question related to that. In his book, the revenue marketing book, Yag talks about marketing that has moved from being a traditional party planner to lead generation to demand generation and now taking revenue responsibilities, right? Can you talk to us about the revenue marketing stages in a practical manner as to how organizations evolve? And maybe I'll have a follow-up question to that. Yeah, so so I think revenue marketing usually starts like with a new company or a, a new business line or like or need to drive more leads so it starts with lack of leads so i think the first place everybody starts whether they are aligned or not in in between the sales and marketing teams is that they're getting some leads and then sales starts taking action upon them if people are half smart even and if they do uh, if they test before they scale they get to the second phase which is you have leads but there's a lot of manual work involved in in getting leads these in making getting them to the sales uh, for sales to take action upon them so usually um there's some level of automation that happens uh, uh, in the second step. Um, if all still goes well, then in the third stage where companies graduate to, uh, hopefully, they, the leads are coming in. It's coming in in an automated way. Uh, sales and market can do their job, but, um, but there's silos still. So there's sales is doing the lead gen and kind of passing leads to sales who then does their thing. Uh, so uh, there's no understanding of what's working overall. So what, what, which channels are the most profitable leads coming from, um, uh, which channels should be dropped, which channels should be scaled. And I think that's a stage where, where many companies get stuck uh, and then they're just kind of uh, either are inefficient and burning too much money or, or, uh, or dropping balls and, uh, and not follow up, following up with the right leads um, or just people um, being stressed at work, uh, at work. From then onwards, I think that's the, kind of the revenue marketing starts. I think... Uh, the third stage is where I think uh, uh, you know, lead gen kind of marketing stops. And then you can really talk about revenue marketing if, if sales and marketing start to work together in assessing lead channels, in working, talking about the process of lead qualification and, and, and follow-up uh, and looking at ROI together. Um, but even on that fourth stage, there still may be, I think, some backlashes. For, for instance, uh, you get leads, but not uh, predictably. So that maybe you... 
you end up in a situation where like halfway uh, into the quarter, you realize that you're not going to make the quota. Uh, you, you, you thought you were going to do it, but, but something has changed in the lead sources, and then you've, you were missing out on predictability. Um, so I think then there's another level of, uh, kind of data processes and, uh, and, and just kind of habits that need to kick in uh, to also uh, ensure predictability. And then if, if that's sorted, then I think the last level, the, the holy grail, the, the nirvana of urban uh, marketing is where you're getting profitable leads uh, predictably, uh, sales and marketing working together, uh, and everything is humming um, like, a, like a good well-oiled machine. But I think, as always, nothing is ever uh, going to set in stone. So it's always, we're always in motion. We're always uh, changing because the market is changing and the, co- and the customers are changing. So I think it's an ever, ever kind of repeating cycle where sometimes you think you're, you're good, then you get kind of kicked back into level three or level two, even if, uh, if something uh, important about the market or target audience is, uh, changes. Awesome. That's a very simple layout of the revenue marketing stages. And my follow-up question was going to be about uh, where do you think companies uh, get stuck in uh, these stages? But I think you've already answered that while you were explaining it. Now, my follow-up question, uh, next follow-up question to that is why do you think they get stuck in this phase that you uh, mentioned earlier? Uh, It's either lack of uh, awareness that there's a better way or uh, like back to back to earlier discussion we had that the people who are involved are not mature enough to to either step up and lead or to follow like because often i think in org charts sales and marketing are adjacent to each other one doesn't report to the other and there's no revenue function but there's a sales function and a marketing function then i think if uh, and then some companies are more sales driven some are more marketing driven one of these two leaders that needs to step either step up and lead or to, to be happy to follow and let the other uh, party take initiative there. And I'm guessing there's, there's many more reasons why, why companies get stuck. Uh, maybe also some, some companies have, a, have, a, have it too easy. Like they've, they've, they've optimized the channels back in the day and they don't really have to uh, constantly put in, put in the effort to, uh, to do better. Right. Like the answer to most difficult questions in the world, I think the best answer to this question is it depends. It varies. But uh, (laughs) yeah, before we move on to the next question, um, I want to take a quick break and uh, thanks our sponsor that is Jest.is because we are on the topic of B2B marketing. Uh, Jest is our all-time favorite marketing tools and they are also the sponsor of the AVM Conversant podcast. And just as you, uh, as many of you might already know, is a marketing content stream that sits on your Google Chrome browser as a new tab extension. It's a website where you can either discover or submit high quality articles, podcasts, ebooks, infographics, and videos. And its AI powered algorithm allows you to handpick your own personalized content feed that is specific to your taste. Right. And as uh, marketers and content creators, Manish and I have been using Zest for quite a long time and we do use it a lot. And, um, you know, uh, from you guys, we also understand that uh, you do continue to use Zest. And uh, if you want to further promote your content to a like-minded set of uh, marketing community, then all you need to do is just go to uh, zest.is slash content boost and uh, submit your content. And uh, just, you know, uh, you're also... um, you also can uh, avail a $75 discount on your first boost if you just let them know that you're coming from the ABM Conversations podcast. 
So, all right, uh, Andrus, uh, you know, getting back to our conversation, right? So, one of the things that I really like about uh, OutFunnel, at least when I look at your uh, website, is that the kind of communication or what you're exactly going after, what is the problem that you're solving is uh, so clear, right? So, you set clear expectations. In a sense, like the first line that is there on your website says, uh, it's marketing automation that drives revenue. So, there is significant focus on revenue from the word go. So uh, I think you are the best person to probably uh, discuss a little more on this. You know, can you share uh, maybe some, uh, say, uh, top three or four uh, tips that uh, you would suggest to marketers within your team or even elsewhere that they can implement uh, to start to actually kickstart revenue marketing in their company? Good question. Uh, I think the first thing um, is maybe a, a bit of an outlier. So I'm a I'm a big fan of learning, of, of doing things better all the time, continuously improving. Uh, and, and one of the things to do there is, uh, like at Outfunnel, we do monthly retrospectives. So we look at uh, what went well, what we could have done better, uh, and that's a really useful monthly process, uh, which we're going to have lent from the, uh, I think, from the Lean Development uh, Playbook uh, or, the, or the Scrum Playbook. I'm not even sure where, it, where the origin is coming from. Uh, so I think that's it really healthy process, uh, whether you are in sales and marketing. And I think the first tip would be to do this together, to have a, a overall sales and marketing retrospective rather than doing these in isolation. Or uh, if for some reason uh, in your company, these have to happen separately, I would at least have uh, guest visitors. So like uh, somebody from somebody from marketing who's senior visiting the sales retro and, and vice versa. Second tip, is, is very practical. I think one thing which every company, one of the first things which every company should do uh, on this kind of revenue marketing journey is make sure that sales and marketing data are together. They're synced up uh, and not just kind of with a manual import once a week, but really kind of uh, real time synced up. So using modern sales and marketing tools, whether it's OutFundle or HubSpot or something, third all together, that doesn't matter. The important thing is that the tools automatically sync up the data. Maybe last. But definitely not least, uh, I would recommend to revenue marketing. We're talking about money and deals and opportunities, but it's really people who have to make it happen. So I already mentioned that uh, for many companies, it's still an, a new or a novel topic. So really, it's, there should be no expense spared from training the people you have to make sure that everybody understands why we're doing it and, and, and how to do it. Uh, and at times, I think it's necessary. Uh, although painful, just to, to let people go who don't get it and hire new ones who, who really uh, embrace this revenue marketing thinking and, and actioning. Right. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, you know, I uh, also wanted to ask, I, I love the part that you touched upon uh, process tools and uh, people. Um, that's that's fantastic. But one of the key things, you know, when you uh, notice uh, in terms of the tool aspect is that a lot of companies don't get that it's also equally important to uh, audit your existing tools it's it's like you know a lot of people have too many tools and they have not figured out the process property and uh, you know the general conversation is it has always been this way uh, and so when you go about change right so one of the key aspects in this journey is about how do you manage change so uh, you know if there is a lot of resistance um, what is the best thing probably to go about to get the buy-in from the management? So what would be your first approach? Typically, if you were to talk to one of your customers who is not looking at a revenue outcome, but instead they are looking purely at number of leads or uh, demand gen kind of an approach, and uh, you are vouching for, um, say, revenue accountability, what would be your first uh, piece of conversation with them? 
don't need to reinvent the wheel here. I think uh, it's either carrot or stick. <laughs> so one is one is a carrot. Is like you you have to inspire people to take the next action and, and to change. So you show case studies. You 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 show how it's doing how it's done elsewhere, and and that results are not only kind of higher in terms of numbers, but it also leads to less stress and and less burnout, less people uh, changing jobs, etc. So I think one way is to inspire and, and kind of pull people your way, uh, and then. Uh, and, and then there's also the stick, I think, uh, of just uh, sometimes companies get to a place where where numbers get so bad that they feel the need to change themselves. But some, some, sometimes you need to, uh, and then salespeople, I think, are better at, uh, at painting this black, bleak picture than marketers, but really kind of uh, communicating the, the pain uh, that you might end up with if you, if you don't change. So these are the two broad ways I would do it. Moving on to the next question, I recently read a blog on the OutFunnel website where uh, the blog claims that, or the OutFunnel takes a position that the handoff is dead. And if I remember correctly, you have also talked about this a few times on your social media post. But I'm not sure if other sales and marketing folks agree to that. Can you elaborate on why do you think handoff is dead? And if it's not for uh, the kind of hand up that you're talking about, how does marketing feed into sales in your organization? This is something which I uh, I picked up from uh, John Miller uh, of Marketo fame and Engage Your fame, who's now, uh, I think, at demand base after the merger of, of the two companies. So this wasn't something which um, which I came up with. It's actually just borrowing. There's no point where leads get passed from one team to the other uh, because both teams need to be working continuously uh, all the time. Uh, not that marketers need to do sales or vice versa, but it's an ongoing process and feedback mechanism. Uh, how, how we do it, uh, I, mean, I think it's, it's easy for us because we're a small company. Uh, and second, because we, we, I mean, we, we are uh, offering a tool and we are heavy users of a tool which actually kind of has this built into the product. Uh, so I think OutFunnel doesn't do everything and we still need to do quite a lot, quite a lot of processes, but at least we can get things like knowing which lead sources generate only traffic and which actually generate uh, opportunities and closed opportunities as well. We get it built into the product. Uh, secondly, we can, before a sales demo, we see what the lead has done uh, on the site or which emails they have engaged with. And we also, I think we've synced up the processes in a way that if somebody seems ready to buy if they're actively using the trial, if they are have activated all the kind of key features, we then leave them alone. We just uh, we have set up kind of triggers then that that these um, some leads just don't need more marketing. They just need need uh, they can be left alone to discover the product on, at their own pace uh, without annoying them too much. Right, right, makes total sense. Uh, so, all right, uh, you know we are um, coming towards uh, that stage of our uh, podcast where uh, we take our guests through a set of rapid fire questions. So, are you ready for that, Andres? Let's do this. Awesome. So, here's question number one: Does a startup need a CRO? Would you say yes or no? Um, it depends. <laughs> so, uh, I think not every company needs a CRO. Uh, when you ask about a startup, startup usually is a smaller entity. And I think smaller entities need less uh, structure. But I think uh, at some point uh, in, uh, in, in its maturity or in its kind of evolution, uh, every, every company that, has a, that depends on sales and marketing working together, they probably would need to have a, a revenue function, yes. 
Right, makes sense. So here's uh, question number two. What are your uh, top three marketing tools that you use at OutFunnel? Um, you already mentioned OutFunnel, and that's uh, unsurprising uh, there. Then secondly, we use uh, Hrefs quite quite a lot for uh, for tracking our content and uh, doing keyword research. Uh, and then we are we just starting to use a product analytics tool called Amplitude, which is which I've used past in, in my previous lives, but uh, yeah, we have high expectations for that uh, at OutFunnel as well. Amazing. And we are big fans of uh, HREF Sarsils and, uh, you know, we love the way they uh, do things, even their marketing for say. Uh, all right. So uh, third question, this is going to be uh, pretty interesting. Would you say measure everything in marketing? Yes or no? No. Um, and <laughs> uh, so the first uh, first uh, kind of uh, caveat there is that uh, if you're small, again, uh, some things you just... Uh, it doesn't make sense to measure. First, you need to make things happen that are worth measuring, and then you can start measuring. So, putting too much effort on measure, measure, measurement early on uh, is a, is a waste of time. Secondly, I think uh, when things work really well, or when things don't work at all, you'll actually know. You'll you'll have either anecdotal or real evidence that the one or the other is the case. It's really, I think, looking at in the middle where you need measurement. So that means that by definition, you need to be doing lots of similar-looking things for measurement to be effective. And third, I think, uh, and I think that's been discussed uh, on this podcast as well uh, recently, that uh, some things just, just you need to take a leap of faith and then invest in your brand. Uh, everything in theory can be measurable, but some longer term things and investments in brand are just not immediately and uh, predictably uh, reliably measurable. Yeah, totally with you. In, in fact, uh, most uh, interesting things on marketing are kind of uh, pretty intuitive and you cannot really attribute uh, things to that. Fantastic. All right. So, uh, you know, knowing your background, uh, you know, question number four is going to be a little tricky for you. So let me uh, still ask you this, right? So for uh, remote team meetings, uh, would you prefer Skype or Zoom and why? Uh, Zoom, uh, because it's just it just works. I think... Uh... Microsoft uh, is a great company, but they've colossally managed to screw up uh, Skype. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love this. All right. So, uh, question number four. I know you have a, a nine-member team, but uh, if you could grant one superpower to all the marketers in your company, what would that be and why? Uh, that's a tough one, actually. Mark, all marketers, all smart marketers need to have a good balance of... Uh, of uh, the creative side and the and the analytical side. Uh, if you go to if you're too creative, then you more perhaps in a, in a creative department, that marketing department. If you're too analytical, maybe you should be an analyst. And and sec- as, as a bonus, I think also uh, an unhealthy level of ambition. Um, I think is also something that be that's really useful in a marketer. Right. In fact, uh, you know, this is the first time uh, I'm hearing this kind of an answer where you talk about having a good balance. In fact, not having a unhealthy, uh, aggressive mindset. Because uh, yeah, I, I we don't hear this often, and I'm I'm so with you on this. All right. So this is the uh, final uh, question that we're going to have on uh, rapid fire. So and this is going to be a little funny as well, right? So what is the number one BS that you have heard in marketing ever? Number one BS. Did you ask? Yes. Uh, that I would. I mean, I think it's the it's the uh, it's it's vanity metrics. I think too much time uh, is spent on vanity metrics, chasing vanity metrics, and communi- communicating vanity metrics, 
sometimes for the it's the marketer's fault. Sometimes it's the fault of the leader or founder of the company who just happens to like uh, uh, something irrationally. So yeah, I think uh, pick any vanity metric like uh, traffic or social media shares or social media reach, and and, and you got it. Loved all the answers, uh, Andres, and uh, this has been a great show. I think you gave uh, us some really pointed, definitely no BS answers to our questions, and it's it's very succinct. Uh, it's packaged very tightly, so we loved having you on the show. But before we let you go, um, where can people find you online, Andres? Uh, yeah, so so my uh, so Outfunnel blog is something where I put, tend to put my best writing these days. Uh, and also, I, I like to interact with people on Twitter. So, A-N-D-R-U-S-P-U-R-D-E. Not the easiest name to find, but if you follow the show notes, then, then you'll find me. So, I'd love to connect there. And uh, do you have any parting messages for fellow marketers or uh, people from the sales team before uh, we wrap this up? Uh, I think maybe a good way to conclude this um, is, uh, is by saying that less is more, that sometimes better marketing or better revenue marketing is not about more emails or, uh, or more segments or more uh, campaigns. Sometimes it's about leaving people alone uh, and, uh, and not sending that email or not sending that campaign when, when it doesn't make sense. So I think maybe, maybe I, I, I ended here. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, uh, and that's exact. That's the exact kind of Pareto principle that we advocate for in the AVM Conversations podcast. And uh, with that, I think uh, we have concluded the episode for today. Thank you again uh, so much, Andres, for being on the show. And to the listeners of the AVM Conversations podcast, this is bye from Manish. And this is bye from me, Yad. Take care. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to the ABM Conversations Podcast. Make sure you subscribe and share your comments with us. We're constantly looking for your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions to make the show more relevant to you. 